The Bible goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So we're in the fifth book of the Bible this morning. And the, the word Deuteronomy simply means second law. Second law. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we see Moses, the leader of God's people, before uh, Joshua takes over. We see Moses um, in the book of Deuteronomy restating going over again various laws and, and regulations, various commands that God had given already to his people. So he goes over those. He reminds them of what is, is most important to them as they desire to live as the people of God. Right at the beginning of Deuteronomy in chapter 1, verse 3, and I think this is really, really important. Listen to this. It says that in the, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, let me just say that again, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. And that's really important because that tells us that the book of Deuteronomy, these moments when Moses speaks to the people of God, there are three speeches in the book of Deuteronomy. And this is in the last 40 days that the people of God have the final 40-day period at the end of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So we're in the, the final 40 days. And Moses, in that period of time, speaks to the people. And he tells them how they should go forward just before they would cross the Jordan River. So that's a bit of context. That's where we are. The final 40 days of the 40 years of wilderness wandering, the people stand on the edge of the Jordan River. This is really important for where we're at in this series that we're in, our fresh series, as we ask the Lord for fresh rain, fresh blessing to fall from heaven. Moses speaks these words on the verge of the promised land. We've already been reminded that, that this is a tale. As we look at the people of God, it's a tale of two generations. A tale of two generations of God's people. There was the wandering wilderness generation. We could call them the Moses generation. They're the people who actually didn't get to enter the promised land because of their disobedience and their wandering hearts. So that's the first generation. And then we have this emerging generation, the children, perhaps the grandchildren of those who were born in the desert, in the wilderness. They were the Joshua generation. They would get to enter the promised land. They had learned significant things from their ancestors that would propel them forward. And so Deuteronomy records what Moses, as the last of that previous generation, speaks to this new generation on the verge of entering the promised land before Moses dies. So there's, there's real weight in these moments. This is a really significant moment. And I think we're intended to sense the weightiness of this. Moses is about to die. A new generation of God's people are about to enter into the promised land. And, and Moses speaks these things in that context. So Moses gives three speeches. And in Deuteronomy chapter 11, we find ourselves in the middle, right in the middle of his second speech to God's people. And as he closes this particular part that Graham read for us, Moses points to three periods of time in Deuteronomy chapter 11 that I want us to consider this morning and hopefully it'll come up on the screen. So Moses points in Deuteronomy 11 to the past. Okay, so he points to the past in order to, to motivate obedience within the people of God. He, he points and he speaks about the present moment that they're in 
to highlight the current responsibility that God's people carry in their present moment. And then he talks about the future. He paints a picture of the promised land. And he does that to provide encouragement to God's people to press on towards God's blessing, towards the fullness of what God would have for them as they cross the Jordan River and into this land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a, a place of abundance and provision that God had set aside for them. So the past motivation that we see is really interesting. It's in the first seven verses. Moses highlights to this emerging generation what their parents and grandparents had witnessed in the wilderness. If you're following along, look at the first seven verses. We see a list of miracles and events that they had been eyewitnesses to. Just take a glance down that if you're following it in the Bible. They had, they had seen and experienced the discipline of God. They had witnessed the majesty of God. They had witnessed his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. My goodness, look what they had seen. They had witnessed the signs and the wonders in Egypt that God had performed before Pharaoh and all of the people. They had seen miracles and wonders. They had seen miraculous things that God had done amongst them. And then they had witnessed the, the parting of the Red Sea. Imagine being there as an entire ocean parts in front of you and, and as a nation they had walked through on dry ground and all of the Egyptians who were following behind them uh, were, were left behind in the waters. They had seen all of that. And so speaking to this older generation, Moses says in verse 5, and I think this is really important, he says, it was not your children. It was not your children who saw what God did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place. It wasn't your children who saw this. But it was, verse 7, it was your own eyes that saw all these things that the Lord has done. See, Moses is speaking to the generation who should know and who should remember all that God had done before. These historical reminders among God's people should have, should have instilled within them a, 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 an obedience, a, a passionate desire to live God's way. They had seen God at work. They had seen the miracles and the signs and the wonders. They had seen God's mighty outstretched arm before them. They had seen that, that, and witnessed that God was on their side, that he was with them, that he went before them, that he was parting oceans for his people. You uh, among us, I'll let you decide if this is you. More miles on the clock. You, you, have, you, have, you have more miles on the clock. You older folk among us, I'm trying, I always, when I say this, I'm trying not to look at anyone. I'll just look at Shane and the guys over here, all relatively young. You older folk among us, you have a considerable responsibility. To us younger folk, I'm including myself in that. You have a considerable responsibility. Wherever you're sitting right now, think back, okay? Think back over the history of your life. And rather than the first thought or the immediate thought being the things that you've achieved in your lifetime, maybe the, the wonderful jobs that you had the privilege of, of working in or the, the promotions that you've had or all of those wonderful things that, that have happened in your lifetime, rather than that being your first thought, I want you to consider what God has done in your life. I want you for a moment to think back 
maybe moments of past rescue, past moments of God's provision, great provision when you needed it the most, moments of past miracles in your life, moments that were, you know those moments that you're just left saying, only you, God, (laughs) only you could have done that. Only you could have done that 43 years ago in my life. Only you could have done that 65 years ago, 22 years ago, five years ago, whatever it might be. Only you, God. And so why don't you just just pause and praise God in your heart. Just thank him. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your provision. Let those memories ignite in your heart a passionate desire to pursue God today. In this moment, don't leave those memories in the distant past. Bring them, bring them to the forefront of your mind and your heart. And you know what else? Teach the younger generations the goodness of God. What it means to follow him through thick and thin, through the mountaintop moments and the valley moments of life. Teach us. Show us. Remind us. Tell us what it looks like. You see, past witness should serve to motivate amongst us a present obedience a present obedience, a desire to live for God today because we've seen him do it before. We know he will do it again because he was faithful before. We know he will be faithful again. And so present responsibility from Deuteronomy chapter 11, the responsibility that is presented to the people of God, to the generation in front of Moses is really clear. Moses makes it really, really clear. Their responsibility is towards obedience to God. They're to live for him. Their hearts are to be wholly invested in God in living out his ways, his purposes, his plans according to his direction. You dog lovers amongst us this morning, you might want to cover your ears or or even perhaps get a tissue out at this moment. There's a story that I read this week. That's shocking. Some people are going, what? What's he going to say? I heard a story this week about a forest worker whose faithful little dog, I'm really sorry to mention this, his faithful little dog burned to death in a great fire that swept through the forest. That's awful, I know. But the little dog, I think there's a lesson in this, the little dog had been left under a tree by his master to guard his master's dinner pail. Whatever a pail is, I'm not so sure. I think it's like a little basket of food. The dog had been left under a tree to guard his master's dinner pail while his master went off to fight the forest fire. Okay. But the dog wouldn't leave it. He wouldn't leave his master's dinner, even when the flames roared around him. The man was brokenhearted when he returned to find that his little friend had died in the flames. With tears streaming down his cheeks, the forest worker said this. He said, I always had to be careful what I told him to do because I knew he would do it. What a dog. I shared at the GB recently the significance of the biblical name Caleb. We have a Caleb in our house. Real significance in that name. Originally, in the original Hebrew, it actually means dog. Okay, but it has a much, much greater meaning behind that because the name Caleb actually means to be wholeheartedly devoted to a master, okay, as a dog would be. So it doesn't really mean dog. It carries that sense of being wholeheartedly devoted 
to a master. We see that in the life of Caleb in the Bible. He was wholeheartedly devoted to God as his master. He was one of the ones in the emerging generation who would get to see the promised land and enter in with Joshua. He was part of the Joshua generation. See, the Christian life calls for obedience, doesn't it, to the Lord Jesus? Even when the flames close in, even when the flames of temptation swirl around us or the flames of unforgiveness or the flames of, of the fear of, of the prevailing culture around us that wants to take us away from the plans and the purposes that God would have for us. And in and through all of that, we remain true to our calling in Christ. It's not always easy, but we are to guard the master's dinner pail. When the flames close in, we are to guard all that God has deposited among us and in us. We are to carry that spirit of Caleb. And so Moses tells the people of God that their present responsibility before they enter the promised land is to be obedient to God. Look at verse 8. Moses says, observe all of the commands that I'm giving you today so that you may have strength to take over the land. Notice that obedience leads to strength. When we live God's way, we're strengthened. Verse 13, Moses says, Faithfully obey the commands that I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Don't be enticed away, Moses tells them. Don't be dragged away into other pursuits. Don't follow the idols of this world. Then instead, Moses says, verses 18 to 21, he says, fix these words of mine in your hearts, on your minds, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them to your foreheads, teach them to your children. It's not what we're doing today. We're, we're asking that, that as a church family, we would raise a generation who would be taught the ways of God. Moses says to the people of God, teach your children about the Lord. Write his commands on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that all your days, your children may, uh, all of your days may be many in the land. And so their present responsibility was to obedience, to be enveloped, to be enveloped not only in the presence of God, but in the, the ways of God. And God would bless them. They were to seek first the kingdom. And then the third thing we see in these moments is, is future blessing. Right in the middle of this call for present obedience, Moses describes the future blessing that would be there for the people of God as they enter the promised land. And here's the rain. Here's the rain. We've been talking about the fresh rain of God falling from heaven. Look at verses 10 to 11. Notice the presence of rain in what Moses says. Verse 10. The land you're entering to take over, he says, is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as, of, as in a vegetable garden. But the land that you're crossing the Jordan to take possession of, listen to this, is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. I think we need to take note that there is a physical, tangible picture here of a deeper spiritual reality that God wants his people to see and to know. The promised land was going to be very different from their previous life in Egypt. 
For the people of God, Egypt represented slavery and hardship. Egypt was a time of oppression. And in Egypt, they had to, to pump the water that they needed for their crops from the River Nile. It required hard work. It required real effort. I think of a picture of a foot pump, pump that might have been used. The guy on the left on the screen, it would have been this kind of, kind of hard work that was needed in Egypt. The River Nile, the, the water would have been pumped from the Nile onto the crops in order that crops might grow. That's the way things were. But the promised land was very different. Just, just consider this with me for a moment. There was no river, Nile. There was no irrigation in the promised land. Canaan wouldn't need any kind of human irrigation. It would be a land that, that drinks rain from heaven. It would be a land that drinks rain from heaven. In other words, the people were going to be completely dependent on God. He was going to be their great provider. He was going to send rain on their land in season, both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather, God says, in your grain new wine and olive oil. Grass would be provided for. Cattle would be well fed. And they would eat and be satisfied. Rain would fall in season. Fresh rain would fall from above. Not irrigated water pumped up from below. Take a look at the picture on the screen. T take a look at the eyes of both people. The guy on the left, his eyes are down. This is what it would have been like in Egypt. Eyes down, pumping as hard as they can, trying to get water up from the ground to irrigate the crops. It wasn't going to be like that in the promised land. God says the rain is going to fall. The rain is going to fall from heaven and, and water the crops. It's going to flood through the streams and from the mountains. You're going to be provided for. You're going to depend on God and he will bring the rain. They were going to stand under the rains of blessing that would fall from heaven. See, Moses wants the people to sense the difference between a life lived in slavery and bondage in Egypt and the new life that, that, that awaited them in Canaan, a life of blessing and freedom and hope should they be obedient to what he was teaching them. He wants them to know that God would bring the rain, fresh rain, Look at the rain on the, the picture on the right. See, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can you hear the rain? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Can you hear the rain? The Lord Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is like, can you hear the rain? The grace of Jesus that flows freely to the needy is like standing under heavy rainfall, receiving the grace of God in abundance that comes when we put our trust in Jesus. It's like standing under the rain of his blessing. Can you hear the rain? The promise of the blessing of rain was really important because in Canaan, one of their gods, Baal, was, the, was said to be the god of the rain. He was said to be the God of the weather. The people in the land would be worshiping Baal because he was going to provide rain. 
Moses says, no. Don't follow the ways of this world. God will provide rain. You're to worship him and serve only him. He will send the rainfall. Don't trust in any false God. God would supply the rain. God would supply autumn rains and spring rains or early rains and later rains. The early rain would fall in October and November and was really important because it would soften the ground. It would ready the soil for the seed to be planted. The later rains would fall about April and would help the crops to come to harvest. If you were here last week, we talked about how sometimes our prayer lives can feel like sowing seed in the dust. Maybe that resonated with your heart where you feel like in your life, it's like, it's like, God, are you even there? Feels like it when I pray, it's fallen on dusty, dead soil that nothing is growing. Well, I believe that, that what we need to understand is that perhaps the season that we're in, that you're in, is the early autumn rain season. Whereas you pray, you're, you're, God is softening the ground. God is softening the ground for the later rains to come and for the seed to grow, for the harvest to come. And remember what we said last week, if you're praying for something, don't give up. Keep praying, keep asking the Lord. Maybe it's the early season. Maybe God just wants you to be faithful in prayer, to keep praying through those autumn rains, knowing that the later rain will come. In fact, we pray that for our church, don't we? If this is a season of autumn rains, we're going to pray, we're going to keep praying. God, move in power in our midst. Send your rain now and rain later that the harvest would come, that we would experience the abundance of your blessing. So there it is, past motivation, present responsibility, future blessing for God's people. We place all our hope in him. Why? Because... We serve a God who, who was past, who is present, and who is to come. He is our future. He is our past. He is our present. He is our future. The Bible also tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you're sitting here and as yet you don't trust in Jesus... We want you to hear the call of the kingdom. You see, Moses closes his speech by confronting the people with a choice. We didn't read this, but it's the end of Deuteronomy chapter 11. And the choice that's presented to the people is a life or death choice. Two pathways spread out in front of them. One is of life and blessing. One, Moses says, is, is, of, is of death and curse. I feel it's really important that as we think about this moment in the scriptures that, that, that we're reminded that if we continually reject Jesus for who he is, then the curse of sin still hangs over us. And that only leads to death. And if that's you, you need to trust in Jesus today. But we also need to remember that the curse has been lifted. For those of us who trust in Jesus, the curse of sin, all of our sin has been laid upon him. He has taken it from us. 
And listen to this, all of our sin, past, present, future, has been taken from us completely, entirely, because he is the one who was and is and is to come. And so as we close, I want us to think about the very first five words in Deuteronomy chapter 11, where Moses says, love the Lord your God. Love him. Love him. And so as we enter this season where we're asking for fresh rain, why do we do this? We do it because we love him. Why are we baptizing little ones, pointing them and their families to Jesus? Because we love them and because we know that God loves them too. We do this, we worship God because we love him. We love him because he first loved us. I'm only here because he first loved me, that he poured out his grace upon me. I love him because he first loved me. He loved me yesterday. He loves me today. He will love me forever. Let me invite you to stand with me. We're going to pray. Thank you, Lord, that the vocal cords have held up. Let's stand. We're going to pray together. And then we're going to worship God in response. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, our time has rapidly moved on. But as we come to a close this morning, we thank you for everything that we have heard, for all that you are whispering to us and teaching us by your Holy Spirit. Lord God, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our hope is in you because you were there in the beginning. You are with us today. And as your people, you will be with us forevermore. You're the God who was and is and is to come. We love you, Lord. We love you, Father, because you first loved us. Pour out the rain of blessing upon us, we pray, as individuals and as a church family. And so, Father, we worship you now in spirit and in truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.